So I really appreciate uh, Stephen and Veronica helping me out with this theme of Grace Notes, which is the title of my talk today. Uh, and uh, I, I, it really, I, I, I really appreciate them taking this topic seriously, but from very different angles. The grace that Stephen experienced uh, in a particular situation, but maybe more generally, and then the grace that comes in a particular kind of composition in music. So it's very good to be here with you um, this morning in a world that seems to have taken a disastrously wrong turn. And I, like many others, uh, am struggling to, to re-enter my life fully. So much of my old life was shut down, and I haven't been able to bring it back. Um, so although this is a day of independence, I'm not going to be talking about that, but I'm hoping that maybe uh, by talking about the action of grace in a person's life, all of us and any of us might find some way to, to recapture or to rebuild or to go into something very new in life. For me, um, being the, a, a worship associate actually uh, at the Unitarian Church in Berkeley, up in Kensington, um, one of the things that shut down for me was the church choir. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if any of you have been to Berkeley, but the, the choir, they have a very good choir of about 30 members, sometimes, sometimes I think more than that. Uh, and what ha during the, the pandemic, what happened was that uh, we had nights of Zoom rehearsal. Those drove me crazy. You're trying to look, trying to look at the music, read the words, read the notes, look over there somewhere in the distance, the, the director, and sing by myself, but knowing that it was going to have to be part of this group singing. It was, it was really, really a hard thing to do, and I, so I shut down. I stopped doing it. And then we also had many nights of mask rehearsals where we were out in the atrium, which opens, the doors open out to the bay. So it would be in the evening and the wind would blow and it was freezing cold. We came, you know, dressed in all kinds of outfits and so on in order to survive that cold. Um, and we also were standing far apart from each other. And to try to sing as a choir and that situation for me was just, I just couldn't do it really. So I did shut down uh, and bit by bit I withdrew. And uh, the other things that I was very uh, involved in were uh, ballroom dancing, which shut down. Uh, getting together with friends, uh, that pretty much shut down. So, um, I, I do admire Brian Baker, the, the conductor of the choir there in, in Berkeley, because he kept the music going, and some st people more stalwart than me uh, kept the music going, the choir going. But this, uh, this, this morning, uh, I want to talk about Grace Notes. I've titled the, the sermon Grace Notes. Uh, 
And uh, those of you versed in music probably uh, have a vision of those little notes that are written above, the, t the tiny little notes that are written above the, the main note in the score. Um, and I am doing a sort of play on those, on those little grace notes uh, because my main uh, thrust in this sermon is not the notes. It's not the musical notes. It's my own notes about grace. Uh, the dictionary, by the way, calls these grace notes ornamental. I don't know if you think of them that way, Veronica, is or ornamental? Did you say ornamental? Okay. Yeah, they call, the dictionary calls it them an embellishment. In other words, what that means to me, um, not essential, not necessary for real music. And the real music lies in these larger notes that the grace notes are kind of stuck onto. But it strikes me that um, they come into the music as a kind of gift from the composer. Uh, that is a kind of grace. One dictionary definition of grace is a gift. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's, it's not deserved. It's not worked for. Grace is a pure gift. So when I, uh, I had an experience some months ago, and I was when during all of the Zooming um, of attending a Zoom poetry reading. And it was one uh, by two very, very distinguished American poets. I'm not going to say their names because they might not want to be in my sermon, but anyway, they, they were very distinguished. And after they each read, there was a time for questions and answers. Um, and uh, the, as it turned out, these two uh, senior poets, many, 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 many years before, had been graduate students at the same time. And they were focusing on poetry. And they had get, given a reading those many years ago. But this was the first time they were reading again together, many years later, as I say. And in this little discussion afterwards, one of the poets, one of them said, it was grace, really. This coming together was grace, really. The organizer of the program didn't even know that these poets knew one another. Uh, so for me, it, it, uh, it really struck a chord and it made me come back to this uh, thought of what is the meaning of grace or is there grace? Um, that I've off and on uh, come back to and then sort of forgot and then come back to. But I remember, uh, it, start, it makes me remember two uh, particular experiences in my life that, uh, in which I think something was at play that I could, that maybe the best word for was grace. The first one I'll call uh, the purple hillside. It was a few months ago 
probably closer to a year ago, I was struggling, uh, struggling during these past two years um, to kind of find my way in this world that seems to have made a desperately wrong turn. Pandemic, self-isolation, health, money woes, and that horrendous Ukrainian war. The other day in, uh, when I was, I was taking a drive in an attempt to sort of do something in italics, to step out of this kind of depression, I wanted to do something. So I, was, I took a, a drive and I was heading toward um, from south, north of San Francisco on Route 1. I was going to end up uh, going to the ocean. And I was, I just remember feeling, you know, so is this what my life is coming down to? And no matter how hard I tried not to feel it, I kept saying, is this all there is? When I suddenly went around a curve and came upon an entire hillside covered with purple sage, it was extraordinary, massive amount of purple on the hill. And um, I couldn't not notice it. It shocked my eyes alive. <clears throat> and those tears of self-pity that I had been, had been threatening me um, turned to, into kinds of tears, but they were tears of a kind of gratitude. This astounding hillside. It was beautiful, no other word, simply beautiful. And here, here uh, I was granted the vision of this hillside. I was granted the opportunity to witness such color and such beauty. And I thought, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have been turned around this curve and come upon this magnificent vision. So the, this, this purple hill, I think of as a gift. I, di I did not do anything to deserve it. It was an unmerited gift, let's say from the universe, or you could call it God. A gift from the universe to me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't merit it. I didn't work for it. One might call this gift of the Purple Hill an expression of grace, the unmerited love of God. But you could call it the unmerited love of the interdependent web of existence toward its creatures. I certainly fell in love. I felt this love kind of welling in me for the hill and then I went right around the next curve and was given the gift of the Pacific Ocean. This uh, experience of the purple, the incredible <laughs> expanse of purple, uh, made me think about a, a, a reading that I've really loved for many years from Alice Walker called The Color Purple. Some of you have probably read it. Um, and it made me think of a particular passage that I've always uh, been moved by. 
that I'd like to read. My first step away from the old man was trees, Suge says to Celie in the color purple, talking about God. The air, then birds, then other people. But one day when I was sitting quiet and feeling like a motherless child, which I was, it come to me, that feeling of being part of everything, not separate at all. I knew that if I cut a tree, my arm would bleed. And I laughed and I cried and I run and then run all around the house. I knew just what it was. In fact, when it happened, you can't miss it, she says. The theologian Matthew Fox writes, and this is a quotation, in experiencing ecstasy, we are experiencing what our forefathers in spiritual traditions called grace. In experiencing ecstasy, we are experiencing grace. Fox lists a variety of what he calls natural ecstasies. It's the ecstasy of nature, of friendship, of sexuality, of the arts, of work, of serving. Fox says, when we get outside ourselves, get outside our own little worlds, and connect with the larger world around us, through any of these natural activities, we experience ecstasy when we get outside ourselves. The action of a supernatural deity is not demanded. Grace is available to us every day in the everyday world of here and now. What is required is a breakthrough in consciousness in which we break through the insulation of our individual worlds into an awareness of our connections with all things. Our eyes are opened. We wake up. We see what is all around us. We see what is all around us, the gifts of the surroundings, the purple on the hillside. The second experience of something that I can only call grace, I call breakthrough on the psychic ward. The language of breakthrough leads me to a second experience for which I can find no better name than grace. After graduating from theological school and before becoming minister in Modesto, I worked as a mental health treatment specialist on a locked psychiatric ward, dealing primarily with people diagnosed as psychotic at what was then called, it's been renamed, Contra Costa County Hospital in Martinez. What I became aware of in that experience is that while we as a therapeutic team could provide a context which improved the odds for a person, a patient, to break through to an acceptance of self-responsibility and a breakthrough into the long path upward in the healing process, so while we could provide a context that improved the odds of a person breaking through, there was something indefinable, something mysterious that actually enabled some 
to break through while others broke down. Something that enabled some to start an upward move after hitting bottom, while others continued to suffer at the bottom. What we did, what we did as a team made a difference, but there was still another ingredient. And also, the breakthrough did not simply depend on the effort of the person, the patient, on how hard that person worked or struggled. The effort of the patient made a difference, as did the therapeutic context, but there was still another ingredient. I came to call that ingredient grace. It was, seemed to be grace that enabled a person to break through rather than to break down. To break through grace that enabled a kind of turning, a shift from hopelessness to a perspective of hope. And although uh, what we did could increase the odds and the patient could work very, very hard, ultimately something else came into play which didn't depend on the patient's effort or our efforts. I called it a kind of grace. In fact, it often came as a result of letting go. And with the breakthrough came the ability to see the gifts of the surroundings, the grace available in the universe, the natural ecstasies, that love is a power and energy force alive in the universe. It's action in everyday life, our own gracedness. So let's come back a moment to, <clears throat> to those little grace notes in music, perched above the big notes, like a butterfly lighting on the rose. Not embellishment, not ornamental, but an example of the magnificence residing in the simplest things. Sitting in my back patio in Berkeley, I'm offered by that small, fenced-in world so many gifts not merited, not worked for, not earned, not asked for, simply gifts. The hummingbird bathing at the mouth of the fish fountain. The early morning sunlight in the tops of trees. My hand, my fingers, the hummingbird's magnificent fanning wings, gifts offered us by our own interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. Such beauty inside the simplest, the insignificant things. What am I going to do, I hear myself ask myself. What am I going to do? Welcome, I answer myself. Welcome these simple gifts. Make yourself available to receive them. Make yourself available to receive these simple gifts. Someone is said to have asked that wise man Confucius, this thing called the way, with a W, capital W, this thing called the way, where does it exist? And Confucius is said to have answered, it is everywhere. It is in the ant.
I was in my patio the other morning uh, looking things over as I is my custom. I was surprised to see in the corner by the fence a little creature making its way hesitantly, head first, down the thin trunk of a bougainvillea. It was only slightly bigger than my fist. Its little pointed nose, pink nose quivering, black ears alert, eyes like bright black beads. It was a possum baby. There he is. It was a possum baby, fallen from the mother's pouch. The mother nowhere to be seen. So I'd found baby possums before in my patio, dead, often riddled by ants. This little possum had made it all the way down to the ground from the fence above and was snuggling among the skinny arms of a spider plant. So I had already fallen in love with it. I thought, mm, it's probably best to leave it alone, let it fend for itself. But then the mental picture of the dead ones reappeared. On Google, it said, little ones should be put in a shoebox on top of an old piece of towel and taken to a wildlife center. He was such a living, breathing, scuttling little creature under my gardening glove as I captured him and put him into the shoebox. Still questioning myself um, as to whether it really was the best thing to do. The man at Lindsay Wildlife Center in Walnut Creek was so nice as he transferred him from the shoebox to the animal cage. He called him Little Dude. The little dude was too small to make it on his own, he said. They would make him comfortable and feed him for a couple of weeks, then release him to the wild. That little dude took me out of myself for at least a little while. I think I was a gift to him, and I know he was a gift to me. The little dude take, took me out of myself and at the same time enabled me to be more myself. Took me out of myself and enabled me to be more myself. As I reenter life fully and hopefully with grace on this thing called the way. The voice said, do what you can, do what you can. I did what I could. Thank you.